What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Get Over Yourself podcast, a podcast dedicated to self-development, self-improvement, and helping you achieve the goals that you've laid forth in your life. I'm your podcast host, Brandon Davis. And in today's episode, we're bringing a special guest star named Junya Renee Boubrun. Junya is the host of his very own podcast called Whose World Is This? with Junya Renee Boubrun. He's a first-generation Haitian-American-born citizen and was raised and spent his early life in New York City. English was Junya's third language after French and Haitian Creole. He traveled to the Caribbean as a child, which informed him about how other people can live differently than himself and still live a fulfilled lifestyle. He's lived in South Florida, Hawaii, Italy, and Cambodia, to name just a few of the many locations that he has spent his time in. Junior graduated from St. John's University with a degree in government and politics and a minor in international relations. For a period of time, he also studied in Rome. He's volunteered at orphanages in Southeast Asia and has been donating clothes, money, and food to the Caribbean for decades. He's currently in the process of writing his own book as well. Junior also is the VP of Sales for Chavez House Publishing, where they publish inspirational books and journals by Lenore Batista. And he is using her self-publishing success blueprint to publish his very own novel. Junior is creating an umbrella company to house all of his original content, including Chavez House Publishing, the podcasts, and everything else he's been working on. Guys, let's give a warm get-over-yourself welcome to Junior Bubrun. Thank you so much, man. That's a great intro. That's probably the best intro of my life. (laughs) (laughs) You're flattering. You're flattering. That's awesome. If you have anything in today's episode that you find enjoyable, if you think Junia is sharing inspirational things that you can apply into your life, make sure to go check out his podcast. Like you mentioned, Whose World Is This? with Junia Renee Boubron. You can go hear lots of different stories that we're going to get into in today's episode. So with that all being said, let's jump into it. Junior, tell us a little bit about your background. Obviously, you were born here in America, but um, as I mentioned, you you spoke three different languages right when you were younger. What was that like growing up in New York and knowing all these different cultures and having different backgrounds than probably most of the kids you surrounded yourself with at the time? Well, uh, I was born and raised in uh, Queens, New York, in New York City. Uh, both my parents are from Haiti. My father is from the city of Port-au-Prince and my mother is from the countryside. So my dad is a city kid. My mom is a country gal. So city kid meets country gal, even though they met in the United States um, when, it, when they finally emigrated here in the, uh, I think it was the 70s. Um, but yeah, one's a city kid in Haiti and one's a country girl. And um, growing up, um, what's interesting is, you know, they say that Queens, New York is the most diverse city on earth. So considering that growing up i had a big family my father has over six or about six or seven siblings that lived in the greater new york city area only one sibling was outside of new york wow so all everybody lived in either uh the boroughs or one lived in his one of his brothers lived in new jersey so i was surrounded by the culture that i was in i didn't think anything was different 
Uh, I grew up where, you know, I was multilingual. I grew up, French was my first language. Haitian Creole was my second language. And I learned a little bit of Spanish, but I don't, I never counted as a language language. And then I didn't learn English till I was about five, six years old. And that was the norm. I spoke French, I spoke Creole, I spoke amongst my cousins. That was mostly my peer group. And it wasn't until I got to, let's say, kindergarten that I realized, oh, I'm a little different because everyone is speaking English without an accent and I'm getting teased or whatever the case may be. But I didn't see it. It was extremely normal for me growing up. Most of my cousins spoke Creole. I spoke it, you know, and a lot of my cousins spoke French. Many of them didn't. So growing up for me, it wasn't uh, er, in my early years, it was very normal. It wasn't until I got to my eight, nine, 10 years old where I'm in, you know, elementary school, obviously, where I realized, okay, not everybody is Haitian. Yeah. <laughs> not everybody speaks three languages, you know, <laughs> not everybody is like this. But I think growing up in Queens helped because I was surrounded by other cultures as well. They had to get used to me and I had to get used to them at the same time. So um, it informed me about, um, finding middle grounds with people because being in a borough where some people can be American, your neighbor on your right-hand side can be American. The other ones can be Jamaican across the street. There was a Austrian couple. And so you're, you're surrounded by, by people that speak different languages and you always are looking for a common ground as a kid. So no one was really different to me. I just saw them as, oh, okay, you speak another language. How do I say hello to you in your language? Okay, fine. <laughs> Love that. That was it. Love you know, it. that was it. You know, so it was nothing. To, I think it informed me not to be, it normalized what we consider differences early on in my life. Just everyone kind of being from someplace else. So let me ask you this, Junior. As you're surrounded with so many different cultures and people with different backgrounds than you when you're growing up, what kind of influence do you think that left you to where you're at in your life right now? Well, I think first off, it allowed me to explore without fear. Um, it also allowed me to not take anyone's word for it. And why I say that is because, you know, I went to Haiti several times as a small, small child. I went several times, two, three, four, five years old. And, I, and then I, we took a little hiatus because there was some political uh, instability going on. So there was a safety issue. So I didn't go for many, many years. And let's just say there was, a, I don't want to, let's just say, I don't want to call it a cultural amnesia, but let's just say I forgot a little bit about the fun I had as a kid. So when my mom took me back to Haiti right around 10, 11 years old, I didn't want to go because... 2020 news and whoever, I don't want to mention this, the newscasters, but the picture that they painted of Haiti was so bleak that the idea of going to Haiti and not Disney World just seemed like abuse. Like, mom, why are we going there? <laughs> why are we going to Haiti when I could go to Disney what, what, World? I could go watch yeah, the yeah. Yankees right down the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mom, why are we doing this? Like, why, I want to go to Disney. No, we're going to Haiti. And I'm saying to myself, oh, my God, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die. I go to Haiti as a 10-year-old, I think it was 9, 10, and I want to say that out of all the trips and all the places I visited, that particular trip was transformative to me and informed me more than any other trip in my life. Because at that moment, I went back to Haiti and I was there for several weeks, if not a month, and it was the most fun I've had as a kid. Why and, would you say that? Well, 
here I am. I'm a city kid. I'm a New York City kid. Um, I speak a bunch of different languages. Yeah. In four in a four hours, I go from JFK Airport in in just four short hours. You leave at eight a.m. American Airlines, and by noon, you're in a totally different reality. I there are horses, my grandmother's farm. Then I go to the city where I have family that are living in the lap of luxury. Then I have other cousins that are living in in what you would consider a favela or a shanty town. And they're poor and poor can be, but they're happy as happy can be. And it was the biggest adventure. And when you give a kid an adventure, it opens up their mind. It opens up their imagination when you expose them to different experiences that early. So being in New York and, you know, New York is fun and all, but for a kid, there isn't a lot of opportunity to just run around. You don't just run around New York City. It's traffic. (laughs) <laughs> Even though we lived in the suburbs, but here I am. I'm on a farm that can stretch that stretches as far as the eye can see, and the the things that you can get into on a mountain top or near the beach or here there. It's something that was totally. It was uh, it. Let's just say that it utilized all of my senses, including my spirit. So all my senses were were were, were being utilized. It was almost overwhelming, and it taught me that. Oh, wow. These authority figures are so-called people that know everything. These grown-ups don't know everything. Whatever reason they had to tell me that Haiti was this bleak, dangerous place, they may have had their reasons. And at a, and at a, at a young age, I may not have understood those reasons, but I knew one thing. If I wanted to know about people, I would just ask them or I would go myself. You know, Junior, as, you, as you're painting this picture, I can't help but imagine this bleak contrast that you probably saw where, as you mentioned, you were watching the news and you heard people telling you that Haiti is this awful place and it made you frightful. You didn't want to go back. You wanted that Disney World trip like you mentioned. And so I'm just picturing all this chaos and this instability and whatnot. But the way you paint this story, it it changes so drastically when you actually landed in Haiti and you went to that farm and you went to your cousin's houses and you saw the poverty, but you saw the happiness. It's a story that I'm imagining in my head where it changes from okay, I don't want to do this. This sounds like a terrible situation to, wow, this is freeing. I'm a kid and I can go out and explore. I can adventure. I can meet new people, experience new things. So I just wanted to mention that. I, I bet the audience would agree with me that the way you're, pick, the way you're painting this story is just beautiful. It was, uh, and I've traveled to over a dozen countries, I think. I'm not sure I haven't counted, but um, that experience was was because I get out, I just picture, I'm at the, my stomach is hurting through the whole flight. I am nervous as nervous. I've never been so scared in my entire life, my short young life at nine, 10 years old. And I'm looking at my mother and saying, this is the most, the kindest loving person I know. I don't know why she's doing this to me. That's how I'm looking at her. Why is she doing this to me? Why is she so adamant that I go? And she keeps saying, you have to know your culture. You have to know where your, your, your family comes from. And I'm saying to myself, I already know my family here. We're good. Put them on a plane <laughs> to New York City. <laughs> Put them on a plane to New York and they can hang out with us. Why do I have to leave safe New York for dangerous, crazy Haiti with all the things going on and things are burning and they're showing corpses on television? Are you kidding me? Kids are starving and I'm going, this is not, I'm not, I don't understand. I was 100% confused. I didn't have an idea. And then there's a two hour, 
drive from the airport to my grandmother's farm. So it's four hour flight and it's two hours on the road and I'm still nervous. I don't know. So this is nerves. And then I get to the farm. Everything seems calm, seems cool. The door opens. There's a whole family in front of my grandmother's house. There are about 10 people with smiles as, as wide as can be, hugging me and kissing me and embracing me. Oh, my God, June, how are you? Oh, I haven't seen you since you were five or whatever. And, and within eight hours, I'm at home. I'm fine. Just like that. Months of agonizing and trying to convince my mom to go to Disney. And please, mom, don't do this to me. In the trip, the four-hour flight, the two-hour drive into the countryside from Port-au-Prince. And in eight hours, I was good. By the time I went to sleep that night, I was fine. I couldn't wait. Everybody's telling me all the things we're going to do tomorrow, where they're going to take me. And I'm like, and all I kept asking, is it safe? Everything is all right, right? That's all. Don't worry about it. We're talking about Yeah, everything is great. I'm like, oh, okay. Awesome. So, yeah, it was, um, it was magical for a young kid. And I thank my mom. I thank my mom for that for being that culturally astute and understanding how important that trip was going to be for me. What an amazing experience that was, especially to have it so young. And I bet that yeah. kind of fueled you for a lot of your travels that you've had later in your life and up to Absolutely. current. Do you want to go dive into a little bit of detail for that for the audience? Well, well, um, the thing that made that trip important, it wasn't just that trip. My mom, you know, my, had my grandmother, her brother, her nieces and nephews all were back in Haiti. So every time we'd go to the supermarket or let's say we bought clothes or my mom would go to flea markets. So there was always a, a, a connection because we, my, my grandmother loves American peanut butter, loves it. My grandmother in Haiti is addicted to Skippy. She's addicted loves to the it. peanut butter, huh? <laughs> addicted to Skippy. My mom sent her a jar one year and she said, you must send the American peanut butter. Loves it. The, 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 the Caribbean peanut butter doesn't have the same. There's no comparison. Flavor. Nothing. No matches. comparison. It really isn't. It really. And, and truthfully, grandma's right. Um, one may be healthier than the other. The, the Caribbean one, because it's just made with the peanuts and things like that. And it's not a lot of other things. But the stuff that makes Skippy Skippy, they don't have that. So. My, every time we go to the supermarket, we're always buying extra. Why are we buying extra? Mom, why do we need that? Oh, no, no, that's going to grandma. Why do we need that? Oh, no, you know, grandma loves this. Or your uncle likes this. Or don't throw away those sneakers because I can give them to your nephew. I can give, I'm sorry, to your cousins and to my niece and my nephew. That constant giving back, it was just ingrained in how we did things. It just was, you know, people, there were shipping companies in New York that would take this, come to your house and get a big barrel of stuff and they would um, ship it. If you ship something in January, it'll get to the hometown by March, April. Then you get letters or phone calls from people thanking you. That was my life growing up. So it became a part of me. I, before I would throw things away, I go, mom, do you need this? I don't want to throw this. Oh, mom, do you think such and such would like this shirt? I think this is such and such a style. And then when you finally go back to the islands, you see people wearing all the things that you sent to them years later. And they're wearing it upon your arrival just to let you know that they still have it and they still took care of it and how grateful 
they were for you sending it two, three, four, five, six years later. What a message that is too. I mean, can you imagine sending your cousin who's still living in this, obviously Haiti, it wasn't as crazy as you thought, but still a little bit more poverty stricken than the US. Absolutely, absolutely. And he, he wears it not only just because he likes it, but it's because he's trying to show his love for you. He's trying to show his appreciation. What kind of things were running through your head when you saw that kind of stuff? I was overwhelmed. That kind of stuff was overwhelming, especially, let's call it what it is. Some of the people, the, you know, especially in the farm country, um, you, you are, you are, um, you have, you're land rich and you have food, but you do not have money. A lot of people don't have money. Um, my grandmother had money because my grandfather was a prosperous farmer and landowner through, through his farming. He was a smart farmer, but there are many, many people who don't have money to send their kids to school, but they have money to feed their kids. Uh -huh. So the farm gives them just enough to eat and keep that little land that they're on. But if the child wants to go to school, there isn't any public school. There's no such thing in the, in, in the third world. So if you don't have money to go to send your kid to school, your kid's not going to learn how to read or write. It's not going to, it's almost a, a caste system to a certain degree, a feudal system, where it's, you, you're, you're sort of sewn to the land unless someone can give you some money. So when I send these shoes, and let's say I send a pair of shoes in 2015, they've outgrown those shoes, but they don't have another pair. Some of them, there's not another pair of shoes to wear. So they make it work and they make their feet fit. Sometimes the shoes are too big. And they're going to make it work because they'll grow into it because they're not They don't know when they're going to get another pair of shoes. So the, the thing that you send and then to, to, to show up at 12, 13, 14 years old and everyone's wearing the stuff that you forgot about. You're living this disposable New York life where you have to have the latest this and that and the third and stuff that you said, I don't need this anymore, even though it looked pretty new. I don't need, I don't wear this anymore. Mom, no one wears that. And then you send that back to someone who's living in, in the countryside, barely any electricity. As a matter of fact, we still have a generator on one of our properties today. If you don't have a gas generator, you don't get electricity. Okay? And, um, yeah, they, they value it in a way that many of us here I don't think can actually comprehend. And so with all that early childhood understanding of this different culture i'm assuming you've probably used a lot of that same concept into the various travels you've done kind of now since you've been older and whatnot so junior if you would what are some different places you've seen now or more semi-recently that you've used those same kind of tactics where you just realized wow i am so blessed to be living in the u.s because of this and that and how have you been able to give back to these other cultures that you visited and what have you learned from them you know, you know, the funny thing is, is um, it's it's I'm one of those people that when I go someplace, um, I don't want to have the and, and with all due respect to people who go to places and they want to be at the all inclusive result resort and just be within the confines of maybe what they understand, um, you know, what they what their safety zone. Everyone has a threshold of how much of a culture they actually want to be a part of when they go visit someplace. You know, oftentimes as Americans, we we want to go to your culture, but we kind of want the Americanized version. We want the certain accoutrements and amenities. Me, I'm a cultural immersion sort of individual. I want to go knee deep into what's going on with you guys. And I don't want to just 
stay where all the amenities are. I want to go to where people need help. I want to go where I can kind of make a difference for the little time I'm there. So if I'm there for five days, I'm going to spend a day or two in a place that maybe is impoverished and see if I can help out some way, shape or form. I, when I was studying in Rome, um, uh, I made sure to help out as a soup kitchen uh, once or twice a week. And, you know, Rome is a beautiful place. It's luxurious. It has its wonderful places. At the same time, there are a lot of working poor that the only way they eat is at the Catholic, you know, uh, soup kitchens. So I volunteered once a week. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday evenings after classes. I would go volunteer at a soup kitchen. And then, you know, when I lived in Hawaii, I would make sure there are a lot of impoverished Polynesian, the people, the native Hawaiians who, who needed help. I would kind of volunteer and help out with one of the schools out there. And obviously when I go to Haiti, I'm always sending clothes or I go to Jamaica and Kingston or when I went, when I uh, went to Cambodia and I was all over Southeast Asia, one of the first things I did was after hanging out and riding elephants and eating all great food, I said, listen, how are we going to, you know, since I'm here in this part of the world, you know, how do I give back? And I found this orphanage and um, on couch surfing, went to this orphanage and stayed there for a couple of weeks. I think it was about a couple of weeks. And then um, here I am in the countryside of Southeast Asia. At the t- I'm 5'10", 210-pound black dude, bald head. They must have thought I was King Kong because everyone is... <laughs> Everyone is five feet two. The adults are They're all just five staring three. up to this big old guy. Staring up. And then, you know, me, I'm nor- I'm not a six foot over, but I'm a, I'm a pretty, at that time, I'm slimmed down a lot. But at that time, I was pretty muscular. This is about six, seven years ago. I was pretty muscular. And, you know, I was working out a lot. I was living in Hawaii, eating really good food. And then I here I am in Cambodia now walking through the countryside, dirt roads, and people are just pointing at me. And Which I'm to them is probably a totally normal thing, right? And to me, and, and to the, they're like, what? This is the countryside. So it's almost very similar to being in Haiti, where here I, I was in Phnom Penh and Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I'm, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, my, my family lives two hours outside of the city. So my hotel room was in Phnom Penh, and now I'm traveling way out to the countryside where there's barely any electricity. And I'm walking down a dirt road. And I have my sneakers on, you know, sunglasses, and I'm walking, and I have a T-shirt, and they're pointing. And so the people who point at me, I walk straight to them. And I go, hey, and they're laughing. And I wear a bald head. And there was a barber shop that was outside in the 99.99 degree heat. There's people getting their haircuts outside. And so I asked the guy, I said, do you think you can give me a haircut? And everyone starts laughing. And they're laughing and going, no hair, no hair. I'm like, no, I have plenty of hair. Look, look, like, no hair. And so we laugh and we're talking and they barely understand English. I don't know any Cambodian, but yet there's a common chord, like we spoke about growing up. Different cultures, different languages, maybe language barriers, but hey, laughter is an elixir that we all take part partake in. You it's know a common I mean? medicine. So it's the way everyone can a, connect. Yeah, it's the universal elixir. So you crack a joke, people laugh, boom, ice is officially broken. That ice melted. It's gone. There is no more ice. Because I can make fun of me. I had a friend of mine with me at that time, actually, that wasn't comfortable with all the stares and everything that we were getting. Me, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, they don't, they've, never, they've probably never seen uh, uh, a non-military American before. 
You know what I mean? Black guy. You know, usually it's people that are in the military. If they go to the city and they'll see them. I said, but here I am. I have an opportunity to connect with the people that will probably never see someone or may go many, many years without seeing someone like me again. This is an opportunity. It's not an obstacle. You know, so that informed me my childhood and being able to give back and being able to meet cultures, whether I was in New York or Haiti and go to different parts of Haiti, the farmlands, the, the, the opulence the places that were shanties. So where it's almost as if I'm constantly recreating that reality in my adulthood. I'll end up in opulence, farmland, rural, poverty. I don't care if I'm in Italy. I don't care if I'm in the Caribbean. I'm in Southeast Asia. It's almost as if that same imprint from that first trip at 10 years old is recreating itself everywhere I go. And you know, Junior, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm just, I'm thinking about this guy who ditches the five-star resort, ditches the amazing experience that everyone imagines going on a vacation is, and you go out to help other people. You go out to serve them. You go out to understand their true culture. Because like you mentioned, I mean, sure, when us Americans go down to Cancun, Mexico, we can experience Cancun, but are we really experiencing it or are we experiencing the amazing hotel and the nice foods, you know? And so this this concept that you have of where you actually dive deep into the cultures, you you get to experience and laugh and have fun with these with these people. It probably teaches you lessons that you can't read about. You can't understand them unless you actually live it. Travel, there is there is no education more thorough and more specific and and more illuminating than traveling. There's no one can tell you. I don't care how many YouTubes, how many people have you know, GoPros attached to their foreheads, showing it to you, your spirit, you're going to inform yourself about what that is. People can give you some anecdotal information. I always tell people, definitely go on before you go someplace, especially now more than ever, you can take a lot of the fear out. You can take a lot of the fear out and you can, you can learn certain customs, the do's and the don'ts, which are very important to be culturally aware of where you're going and, you know, and what the do's and don'ts are. But you're not going to understand it until you touch down on the ground, make a local friend. It's not going to happen until you make a local, you, you immerse yourself in that experience. I enter into places with the idea that I may never return. So what do I want that experience to look like if I never return? I'd like to return, but what if I don't? What if I don't get an opportunity to go back to these places? What do I want that place to to say to me what kind of experience do i want to leave those people with and what do i want to take with me so that's not going to happen if i stay around my marble floors and my chandeliers and my my noon manicure that's not i'm not going to get that experience i'm getting my western experience i'm getting my new york city experience which i enjoy don't get me wrong of course of course everyone enjoys that but it's almost as if you didn't leave home right but you didn't leave home. You're recreating an experience. So it's only you're only enjoying it based on commensurate to how closely it, it, it resembles what you're accustomed to already. It's like it's like you're staying in your comfort zone rather than it, you, willing to you remain. Yeah, you remained in your comfort zone. So it's only cool to the to the to the uh, to its proximity to what you already know. So for me, um, it has I have to be outside of that zone. It has to have a new sound. It has to have a new smell. 
I have to have new feelings and new sensations when I'm in these areas. Like, whoa, this is different. Well, this has a different energy, a different vibe. How do you get that? You have to step further out of where you've been comfortable. So I have to know what your rural area is like. What is, what's, what is it like off the beaten path in your neck of the woods? What's, what, what's it like to, be, to not have in your neck of the woods? What's that like? And, and, then at the, and then at that time, how can I help? Can I get in where I fit in here? Is there a way that I can just pick something up and move it from one side to another, be a helping hand? You know, and not in my Americanized version of helping hand. What do you guys consider a helping hand? Mm-hmm. Ask first, then do. Because there's also that. There's also that I'm here. I'm the Superman from the first world. Now let me fix all your problems. Now let me fix all your problems. I, I have all the solutions. I'm from New York City. I know, you know, skyscrapers, electricity, nothing. I know what's going on. No, 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 no. It's like, how can I be of service? You tell me what to do. You tell me what you need done. Here my mom was, we're living in New York, we have our own house, we live in the burbs of Queens, New York, and she was constantly of service to the people back home, constantly, constantly. And that informed me, you know, so growing up, she never told me, June, you gotta give back, June, you gotta give back. It's just, I just mirrored her actions. I just parroted and mimicked. I knew that when I went to Haiti, I had to have a suit, I had to be, ready to go to Haiti with three suitcases and come back with either those suitcases empty or no suitcases at all. And just be like, Hey, take everything, take it all. And come, came, can come back with nothing but my passport. And that's happened. You know, I've taken those kind of trips where I went with two, three suitcases and didn't even come back with my suitcase. <laughs> didn't I, even bring the case back home. <laughs> no, no. I said, hey, take it. You guys need it for something. It's all good. And you go there with that in mind. Like, hey, you know what? If they want the suitcase, if they need it for something, yeah, let them have that too. No, Junior, I got to ask you. I mean, all these experiences sound so amazing. All these different places you've traveled, being able to donate so much of your time and your money and your clothing and your efforts to these different cultures. But how can you afford such a thing? I mean, if you're an everyday citizen here in the U.S., a lot of us aren't making, we're not racking up the dough. We're not able to afford these. I mean, the plane tickets alone to a lot of these countries you visited is just so expensive. So how can we be able to set aside our time, our money, our efforts to help these people like you have? You know, that's a great question because um, oftentimes when I would post pictures from these places, it looked very jet set to a lot of people. And people just the first thing my friends would ask me, whether it was on uh, social media or, or Facebook or text me or hit me on the phone and go, you know, sometimes people would call me and go, hey, June, where are you? And usually, you know, my phone would be set to Wi-Fi calling. So I'd, if I was in a Wi-Fi hotel or something, people go, hey, June, where are you at? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in, um, I'm in uh, you know, Phuket, Thailand right now. I got to go, you know, feed the baby elephants. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? How are you just doing another that? day in the life of Junior Raven? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's like, yeah, I gotta go feed these elephants, man. I'll call you back later. They're like, I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so. And, and a friend of mine, I remember she asked me this, and she said, June, how are you able to do this? And I didn't want to sound facetious, I said, I prioritize it. 
And that sounds interesting. Like people mean, what do you mean by prioritize it? Well, it means that I don't get the newest iPhone. That's what that means. It means that when I look at the cable packages, I don't get the, the, all of the channels. I'll get the basic cable. Um, it means that certain things, even though I live a, a pretty decent life, I do without certain what would be considered excesses. My phone data plan. It's like, hey, do you want the six, the seventy dollar a month plan? No. Um, what's the cheapest data plan? I'll use my Wi-Fi. These little tiny things, because I prioritize travel. I prioritize giving back. I know that, hey, I'm going to do without these little tiny things. And it, it just becomes a part of my, like I said, my normal growing up was not um, the customary American life or New Yorker's life. Growing up speaking different languages and, and et cetera, and then traveling as I've done. Um, so even in my life right now, this, yeah, oh, I can get that laptop that's got all the bells and whistles. I'm like, no, I won't do that. So, so what I do is I've prioritized that travel is something that's innate in me. It's something that I have to do to feel complete. So that means if you're going to prioritize one thing, something else has to be sacrificed. Other things have to be sacrificed. And that's what life is. You know, everything is commensurate to how much time and effort and equity that you're willing to put into it. You want to be an A student, you have to put in an A effort. That means you're going to have to sacrifice certain leisures, hanging out, doing this, that, and the third. You want to be an A student, that's what it takes. So for me, I prioritize it by saying, okay, well, you know, I guess I'm not getting those new AirPods that has the this, that, and the third. I'm going to stick with these. This phone, oh, yeah, this is the last update of this phone. After that, we're no longer, okay, I'll, I'll, it still works. It still makes calls. It still does what it needs to do. I can still handle my business and make money off of it. So I'm not going to spend the extra $1,000. That's a plane ticket. Think about what we're spending on phones right now. That's a plane ticket to someplace that can change your entire life. It could change your entire life if you just said, I'm not going to get this quote unquote new thing that I really don't need. You know, this older model works just fine. It doesn't need to be replaced. There was a need created. There's a, there's a demand that was created. You got to have the new thing. But instead, I'll take that same thousand and I can have a trip and money left over to help out and be in a totally different world, have a different understanding of a place that I've only want, only dreamt, dreamed about going. And so that's how I do it. It's all about prioritizing. It's prior. It's, it's literally making a mental, it's making a decision and sticking by that decision. You want to get in great shape. That's a decision. You have to put time in a lot of time. You have to think about how much sleep you're getting. You have to prep your food. You have to watch your calories, watch what you're eating, you know, and uh, decide to do this instead of that. It's all, it's all about prioritizing. Just like with every other thing we're doing, that travel becomes that. Have a travel. I always tell people, start a bank account too. You could do it digital, digital accounts. I have one of my credit cards is, is all digital, no bank. I just always, it, 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 I've set an, an amount of money that I want to put in that account, if not every month, but every two months and say, it has to have this much amount of money because at the, at the end of the day, that's the vacation fund. That's going to pay for, at the very least, it'll pay for the plane ticket to get there. I'll worry about everything else later, you know? So you do things like that and you'd be very, very surprised um, how many trips you'd be able to take and how many experiences you'd be able to have. You know, Junior, as we're 
starting to kind of wrap up here, I'm I'm really reflecting on what you on what you just said. And I think that concept of prioritizing goes a lot longer than just people wanting to go on vacations and help other people out. That's what you found has made you happy. That's what you've seen brings you a lot of joy and service to other people. And obviously everyone's got their little things, but that overall principle prioritizing and setting your mind to something and saying, hey, I'm going to do this. That's what this podcast is all about. I think today in our society, it's so easy to become the victim. It's so easy to think like, oh, I could never go on those sorts of trips like Junior. He saves all of his money to do such a thing. He goes out and he goes to Cambodia. He goes to Thailand. He goes to Haiti. He's able to give all of his clothes, all of his shoes away. I could never do something like that. But it's what you said. You prioritized it. You didn't go out and buy the iPhone like that person who's complaining. You didn't go buy that fancy new Mercedes. You didn't go buy that new house. You lived with what you needed and you put traveling as your priority. So I think that's something we could all take away that no matter what our priorities are, let's actually prioritize them. Let's not sit there and complain about what we don't have. Let's say, if I truly want this, let's go out and get it. Let's work for it. Let's make that my priority. Absolutely. That's very important. I, I you know, I've said it on, on a couple of occasions. I said, you, you want, um, and I, and I don't mean to be overgeneralized, people that are feeling down in the dumps or feeling depressed. But if I'm feeling a little down, the cure has been being of service. I'll have a friend or someone when I, the, the more down I am, the funny thing is the more I reach out to people to find out how they're doing as opposed to telling them how I'm doing and I'll find out how they're doing and I'll be like, Hey, so what's going on with you? And I'll find someone who really doesn't have a solution to what's going on in their lives and I'll be of service and I'll, and just that little time I've spent feeling that I, maybe I've made a difference and maybe I've pushed the needle in the, in the right direction in, in another person's life helps me get out of my thing without even me speaking about, or even addressing it to someone else. So I tell people all the time, you would be very, very surprised how much of a difference it'll make in your life. If you can make a difference in someone else's, even those close to you, if you can't take a trip somewhere, if you can't go to these places, but at the very least, start to help out your neighbor or a friend or a colleague or loved one, you'd be very surprised. Find the little opportunities locally and then try and grow from there. Mm-hmm. So, Junior, is there anything else you'd like to leave with the audience here today? What you've already said has inspired me a ton, but is there anything last second you would like to say? Um, I would definitely say please, if you could, anyone listening, check out my podcast, Whose World Is This? with Junior Renee Bobrun. I am I call myself a professional ranter. I can talk. You know, I I really want everyone out there to understand that um, now more than ever, it's more important to be social even while socially distancing. Yep. It sounds funny, but we are living in a world that is becoming increasingly isolated where we're being told to stay home. We're being told to shut down. We're being told to lock down. Think about these words, shut down and lock down. What is that doing to all of us as a society? What does that do? Are we creating better social networks or are we relying on social media to inform us about our world? So I want everybody to understand that 99% of world history we've spent in, a, in an agrarian society where we were all pulling for each other. That's 99% of our total history, which goes back, I don't know how, a couple of half a million years or maybe more of human, of, of human existence. 
So now more than ever, in the, no time in the history of the world have we ever been this isolated from our neighbors, even the people closest to us. So if I could do anything this year, it's to help us break the ice just that's been created over the last, I want to say, year or two or 10, 15 years, whether we're in the digital universe or the metaverse or whatever new verse, um, the universe that we had for the last 99.9% of our human history, it's a pretty good universe. And I think <laughs> that's the best verse yeah. out there. It's the best verse out there. It's the best version of the verse out there. I think we need to do better to to uh, uh, acculturate ourselves and nurture that verse than the other verses that are out there. I think that's all I have to say on that. Well, Junior, thank you so much for jumping back on with the podcast here. Hopefully, I mean, my goal is to meet you one day in person, just be able to go on a cool, fancy trip like this, go help some people out like you've mentioned. I think that would be a blast. That would be amazing. And that's actually one of the objectives of whose world is this? Audience, you guys got to stay up to date on that. Me and Junia, one day we're going to figure something out and we're going to go for it. Mark my words. Well, awesome. Thanks, Junia, so much. And everybody, please just remember, it'll all be okay. Just take a step back and focus on different cultures and putting your priorities in the place that they need to be.